Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It is Monday, which is the time for the Front 3 Podcast World Cup Preview Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, me, Adam Butwood, the one and only Nico Morales. I'm always first now, and it makes me nervous. Know, you like, made me feel self-conscious. I'm just like, right, you're <laughs> first every time now, just to be safe. Uh, and the man of the legend, Chris Hennish himself, is here too. Chris, how you doing? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Very well. We are here to preview, first off, in today's episode, Groups A and B of the World Cup, of course, kicking off this Thursday. We're going to be doing Group C and D tomorrow, E and F on Wednesday, and of course G and H on the first day of the tournament. Uh, before we get into it, though, guys, I mean, are you excited about the World Cup? Nico, how are you feeling? Are you, are you hyped? I, I had my usual bout of, of cynicism, like, ah, oh, more football, like, oh, it's going to be shit, you know, and I'm writing stuff about how, like, <laughs> you know, international football isn't nearly as good in terms of the quality. Um, in comparison to club football, but I'm I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the teams. I just I just looked up you know the the World Cup groups, so we I have it up on the screen while we're going mm-hmm. through them, and it's just it's just cool, you know, nations playing football <laughs> against one another for that a trophy. A it's pretty cool. <laughs> that is what a World Cup is. What uh, what's your earliest sort of World Cup memory out of interest? Uh, earliest World Cup memory. Um... I know, I, I think it kind of coincides with my earliest football memory, which is I watched uh, Ra- Raul um, at the Santiago Bernabeu with, with my grandmother, and I think it was for, for a friendly or a qualifier for the World Cup for Spain, um, right. and I had a Raul jersey and, and everything, so I think that's kind of, that's why I'm, I, I support Spain, because my mother's sort of side of the family um, is, you know, obviously Spanish, and, and that's mm-hmm. sort of my earliest memories with football, is watching Raul at the at Real Madrid Stadium. So. I like that, I like that. We will come on to Spain very shortly. Um, before we do that, before we come to Group A as well, Chris, I mean, are you excited? Are you, are you hyped for England's chances, for example? Yeah, partly because they're quite a likeable bunch as well. Um, that sounds weird to, to be considered as a, a sort of influence on whether you're excited or not, but no, I, I like this group. They seem like a nice bunch of of guys, and I think that probably means the excitement just edges itself up a little bit. Mm. I'm excited for the football. It is always a feast of football. I'm even excited for the opening fixture on Thursday, uh, Russia versus Saudi Arabia. Not the most exciting game, I think it's fair to say, but let's preview Group A with the hosts, Russia in, of course, Chris, um, the lowest ranked team of all 32 in the tournament. They haven't actually advanced past the group stages of any tournament 
since 2008. Uh, do you think it's ambitious to, to think they could even progress from the group with the likes of Egypt and Uruguay alongside them? How do you, how do you rate their chances? Not well, if I'm, if I'm very honest. Um, they've had, yeah, they've had some success in tournaments sort of towards the back end of the last decade. The Andrea Chavin Euros was probably the big launch pad for, for Russian football, but you, you look, you're looking for that sort of same, you know, trigger point, and it's just not there. I mean, Golovin is a, a talented young player who impressed me in the Europa League, specifically against Arsenal, and I think he could move to a bigger league off the back of this tournament. But I look at sort of Zagorev, Akinfeev, who for me have, have never really sort of built on the potential that they had and, and managed to, to sort of elevate themselves to a move to a bigger league. The centre-back options are, are really quite questionable. Neustadter, who is actually a German youth international who uh, filed a one-time switch to play for Russia, He's just not high quality. There's no other way to really build that. And and I think one of the problems that Russia has, and this is true of every horse team pretty much, is that because they don't have to go through the qualification campaign, they don't manage to get through the reps of uh, competitive games. So they've had to play friendlies pretty much all the way up until this. And I think that in itself poses um, a set of problems to, to try and navigate. And, and I think when I put all of those together... I just see it being a really difficult one for, for Russia this tournament. Do, Nico, uh, Russians' chances potentially depend on the uh, the mercurial figure of Mohamed Salah, the name on everyone's lips? Uh, obviously, the opening game is against Saudi Arabia for Russia. If they win that, things are looking good. But if Mohamed Salah is fit for their second game against Egypt, makes things a little bit difficult. Uh, would you think it's going to be Uruguay and Egypt going through as the top two? Or do you think Russia could maybe squeak in depending on the fitness of the, the Pharaoh's talisman? Uh, no, I don't think I don't think Russia will be going through. I think they'll right. probably unceremoniously go out in the group stage. Pr- probably one of the worst teams at the tournaments. But as I'm looking at it, um, I've heard a lot of people slating, you know, the the talents that uh, you know Uruguay has at their disposal. But I, I I see a really talented, maybe defensively oriented team that could probably do something at this tournament if they try to focus on that. They obviously they have Jimenez, who's an Atletico Madrid defender, Godin as well, and Caceres, which is has always been supremely talented, but has really struggled with off-the-field issues. He was at Southampton and Juventus and a, and a series of other clubs and never really got past, you know, some DUI issues, some some drinking issues and, and other things. So I, I think he still made it onto the team. So I imagine the, the national team coach has some expectation of his professionalism. But other than that, you know, they're the usual suspects here. Cavani's a supremely talented forward. Suarez, I think this is probably the twilight of, of, of where he is in terms of his football. He is getting up there in age. And I think where we've seen that most affected in his game is, is his physicality. He looks really, I, I think he's never, he's always been a player that's never really been able to keep the weight off. I think that's just like a, biomechanical issue of of his like he's never going to be the most fit guy out there but um now more than ever every game every Barcelona game I watch this year I think he looked a little slower um because of that and I don't think it's necessarily his fault I think he's just getting older but other than that they have Bentacur in in midfield and and a host of other you know workable players along with Lucas Torreira who's had a really good season at Sampdoria so I, I I think despite you know a lot of people putting down the chances that Uruguay has um, I see a, a, a talented team that I think could could probably do something. Like I said, if they uh, if they focus their talents defensively, which I think is the key for any team that isn't supremely talented going into a a, a cup competition. 
Mm, I, I think they are many people's favorite finish first in this group, certainly. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if Salah is fit for that that first game for Egypt against Uruguay coming up this Friday. He, of course, scored 71% of Egypt's goals during the World Cup qualifying campaign. Of course, he was the man who led them to their first tournament since 1990. It's going to be very interesting to see if he's recovered. It's all a bit vague at the moment. They're saying he is probably going to be fit, but um, the hopes for that first game could rest on Salah. Uh, just as I say, Uruguay are favourites to finish top, Chris, uh, Saudi Arabia, um, the second lowest ranked team in the competition behind only Russia, favourites to finish bottom. Yeah, I can definitely see why people would think that, um, because I, th- I think realistically we we tend not to know a lot about Saudi Arabia as a national team. It's, it's very much punctured by just moments, you know, and I think um, that's one of the things that's been interesting to me in sort of studying them and, and trying to learn a bit more about sort of how they play and this kind of thing. And and I think this the strength of them is they've got some quality in the final third. It might not be the quality that that we know when it's household names, but I think there's a lot of speed, there's a bit of dynamism in there as well. Um and I think looking alongside the the teams that they've got specifically in group A, um I think it would require them to be Egypt personally. I think Russia they can beat Egypt, I think they're going to probably need at least a point against and then someone to do them favours. Um, the only weakness really I see with this one, maybe other than that sort of household name quality that we talk about, is the defence because I don't think it's it's the quickest. Um, and I think that's that's the problem is that you mix the lack of speed with you know the fact they don't play against quality a lot of, of the Saudi Arabia players. Um, it means that it's, it's one that we'll have to almost get everything right. Um, but I, at the same time, I think a theme of this tournament might be counter-attacking. And, and I look at the way that the, the team is set up with their coach, Juan Antonio Pizzi, who I don't think is, is, is averse to, to counter-attacking. Um, you know, granted, I, th- I think that it's it, you can't overlook that quality thing. I'm keen not to sound too high in them. But but I think there could certainly be a surprise in this group if, if Egypt don't click quickly. Hmm. Give me your group prediction then, Chris, how it's going to finish. I'm going to go for the obvious. Uruguay, Egypt, Russia, then Saudi Arabia last. Are you following suit or have you got a little uh, a little surprise there? No, I, th- I think as, as optimistic as, as I may have built them there, I look at, you know, the fact you've got El Nani in the middle. Um, even sort of Sam Morsi is fairly um, aggressive and athletic. And even without Salah, I think it's so easy to point to him and say, well, he's the one that makes him trick taking the, the final third. I would look at Trezeguet as well, 23-year-old um, 23, 23 who is with Anderlecht but has been on loan in, in Turkey this season as someone that, I, th- I think it was a friend of mine, Eric Krakow, who works at, at BN that was first kind of talking about how good he is and things. And when I looked him up and watched him and watched about five, six of his games, I thought, yeah, this this guy does have something actually. He could be one of those breakout stars that gets himself a, uh, a move to a, a better team. With that in mind, I would say Egypt second, I'll say Saudi Arabia third, and Russia bottom. Oh, okay. Nico, what's your what's your lineup there? Yeah, I'm going same as Chris. I think um I think I I just despite the fact that Saudi Arabia obviously don't have any major stars, I think all of their players play in the Saudi Arabian League and you know, to to a certain extent that is a, an indictment of their talent. I, I still think that they will be able to put something together given the quality of their coach. Um, and Russia, I, I just, despite the fact that they have guys like Shedyshev and, and maybe a few other people that have played uh, for some of the better sides in Europe, 
I, I still think Saudi Arabia will will come into this tournament will with something to prove. And I, while I don't necessarily see an upset, like I couldn't see them going through or anything like that. Mm. I don't think that they'll finish dead last, and I think they'll Ooh. they'll probably surprise some of us. So I'll go Uruguay, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and then Russia. That would be embarrassing for Russia, wasn't it? I know. South Africa were the first hosts of a World Cup to not get through to knockout stages when they finished third in their group in 2010. So if Russia did it by finishing last, God, that would be a, a tough pill to swallow, I think, for Russia. Um, but guys, let us know your predictions on Twitter at the front free for Group A. We'll move on now to Group B. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Very interesting group. Uh, on paper, it feels obvious, Nico. Portugal, Spain. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Morocco and Iran. Feels like uh, what's up for debate is just who's going through first, Portugal or Spain? I think for me, it's, it's Spain. I, there was a really good feature in The Athletic. Um, and I'm also doing some World Cup stuff over there as well, if people want to check that out. But there was something on Spain where it talked about, you know, the, the transition from one golden golden generation to the next. And that's something that I've talked about a lot on this podcast. And it's, I think, with Spain, with, um, I, f- I really don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the Spanish national team's head coach, um, he he's mixing what has always been Spain's style, or at least what has iconically been their style for the past couple of years, this heavy possession dominant um, style, which can have its, you know, detriments to, to your players. You know, if you have that level of expectation, especially at an international tournament where many teams know the value of simply, you know, sitting deep and playing on the counterattack, then, you know, that can, that can give players the or not give the players the ability to to succeed because they have to live up to this immense style and and it's sometimes difficult to to perpetuate a, a more complex style of football um at a tournament like this but I think Spain have the right combination of being able to put that through because the players are so similar and they play in so many similar systems and they have uh uh something to go back to every time they, they got together in in preparation for this World Cup. But at the same time, they have the directness through different players that they've called up like Rodrigo and other guys. And I think there's just so much talent in that Spanish team that given the fluidity of style, given the talent, given the coach, given the preparation, I would struggle to, to see to see Spain struggling. So I, I think it's probably really highly likely that they come first in this group. 
Would you agree with that, Chris? It feels like an interesting tournament for Spain in that, of course. It feels like they're flying under the radar somewhat. Of course, they set the world alight between, what, 2008, 2012, when they won all those tournaments consecutively. But this year feels like, you know, the favourites of Brazil, France, Germany, Spain maybe just behind those three in contention for the for the trophy. They are, but they shouldn't be. Um, I think Lopetegui's done a really good job of sort of modernising the Spanish team. There's there's a lot of players that obviously missed out, and and we could talk about them for for a good while. But I, th- I think it's it's important to focus on the ones that are there. Yes, Andres Iniesta is, um, by his own words, I think close to to being tapped out as a professional. But I think at the same time, this squad has so much sort of just talent. No other way to to build it. If you look at the likes of Isco in midfield, who I think will will have a very good tournament. Um, there's a, a chap at right back who's, whose name escapes me um, that came in the other night in place of Carvajal against Switzerland that I thought had a really good game. And, and I think that's the thing is that Lopetegui has, has made this team so much better and so much more modern in its approach. And, and because of that, I think that they're, they're arguably set to, to have a, a bounce-back tournament feel because I don't think 2014 was a good one for them by any stretch. And, and in fairness, I think defending champions do tend to have a little bit of a drop-off because it's impossible almost to to match what you did four years ago. Um, I, and I, I think, yeah, I think they'll do really well. I think also just to kind of elaborate on the, the tactical flexibility that I talked about before, they have, you know, we, we've often associated Spain with maybe like a 4-3-3 sort of system with, with the fullbacks being a major part of that. I think they, at this tournament, given the fact that they have taken both Nachos, Nacho Monreal and Nacho Fernandez, um, one for Arsenal and one for Real Madrid, to the tournament, they have the ability to not only play the 4-3-3 that I think they're very good at doing from a tactical perspective. They have all the, the players to sort of occupy the wide spaces and the central spaces and attack you know, both out wide and, and centrally. They have the ability to play sort of like a, a three-man defensive system and go forward with wing-back type players. So we kind of talk about you know teams maybe uh having a variety of different defensive uh tactics but spain i think they've come with two different options in terms of possession because they know that they will be expected to be that team they'll be expected to have the ball and they have more than one approach this time it's not just the four through three it's not just the classic you know spain overlapping fullback system it's it's something else this time and i think that's that's really important for their success Talk to me about their striking options, Nico, because there's some controversy over Alvaro Morata, of course, being dropped, which Chris alluded to there. Diego Costa looks to be the the, the main man for them in attack. Uh, do you think that is potentially an area of weakness for them? Do you think Costa fits what this team are trying to do? No, I don't think he does. I think if that that is the the biggest potential weakness there, because there was a lot of analytics people that that kind of looked at that and said, okay, Alvaro Morata clearly missed out on somewhat of a an error by the the coaching staff in not taking him because he had what was a cold streak in terms of finishing towards the end of the season, but he ended up which what was basically the same amount of sort of expected goals uh, as, as Olivier Giroud, which was looked at as a miracle transfer. And I think he was getting in good positions and and to blame you know Morata for entirely for the 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 lack of uh offensive output at Chelsea is is kind of a a mistake from the from the sort of coaching uh coaching selection there so I think that if 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 anything that's probably the weakness but I think the way that they combat that is by having so many midfielders that they can kind of go strikerless and when you have 
Lucas Vasquez as a forward and Rodrigo and Iago Aspas, these guys that are more fluid than Costa, I, I think they have a, a myriad of options in terms of striking. And that's definitely obviously somewhere where Spain have struggled before. They haven't always had the, the best striker or, or one that can link up well with their midfield. Diego Costa doesn't fit into that, but I think if 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 he does fill a, a void anywhere, it's it's you know, if they have to break down a, a deeper defense or if they have to be proficient on set pieces and they just need that little extra bit, he is obviously that physical unit that will allow them to, to break teams down in, in a literal sense. And so I think that's it just kind of uh, backs up what I was saying is that they just have a ton of different ways to break down pretty much any team. Mm, what about Portugal? Chris, their Iberian neighbours, uh, of course, the reigning European champions, uh, having won the Euros in 2016, Ronaldo, the main man, but they do have a talented squad around the Portuguese superstar, Chris. They definitely have some talent. I, I can't um, argue with that. I have slight concerns about the centre-backs. Um, I know Ruben Diaz is, is very young and, and Portugal fans will point to that, but I look at Pepe, I look at Bruno Alves um, and Jose Font, all into sort of the mid thirties, um, that to me is a is a slight concern, and, and I appreciate again what you say as it relates to the Euros that you know they did very much buck against expectation um, and managed to to win that competition and showed I would say um, quite a lot of character in doing so because they did it without Ronaldo on the field, and and so often we look at him as the deciding factor, and I think. The fact that Andre Silva's now managed to come in and, and I know he hasn't had the greatest of seasons with Milan um, and yet I think he is still a very good forward and I think he could um, give them that focal point in the attack that sometimes they've struggled to sort of get out of Ronaldo because he's he's not really a focal point type attacker for my money personally. I think he's better when he's served out wide in, a, in maybe a front three great podcast or, or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think they've got a nice blend of, of some young attacking talent. I look at Bernardo Silva as a great example of that. Um, but I, I'm slightly more concerned about what's going on at the, the back, specifically in the centre. It is a fair point, Nico, isn't it? But at the same time, I mean, how do you see that that forward line working? Because how does this team get the best out of Cristiano Ronaldo? We've spoken, of course, about Real Madrid, about how they've managed that in recent seasons in order to maximise his efficiency. How do you put him alongside Andre Silva, who Chris mentions there, and Bernardo Silva, who, of course, missed 2016 for injury? It feels like he could be a, a, the creative hub of this team. I think that kind of has to be the, the trio that works together really well. Andre Silva and Cristiano Ronaldo, in some of the qualifiers and the games leading up to the tournament, um, they show they showed that they can work together sort of in that central space, I think, in playoff of each other really well. I think what they also, what this Portugal team has to do is they have to allow Bernardo Silva to isolate players. He's a really good player off the dribble. He can sort of cut inside from the from the right-hand side and go on to his left foot. He has amazing delivery. He has amazing dribbling ability, and I think he has a really good shot as well. So those three players, I think, have to link up exceptionally well in order for this team to, team to work because I think from a midfield department, the most creative player that you have in, in, in that area is Gio Moutinho, and he's kind of getting up there in age. And even though he has always been a, a, a talented player in, in finding Ronaldo, especially in the lead-up to the 2014 World Cup, I don't think that they should rely on that. Where I think a lot of... where I think that I hope they'll get a lot of their um, maybe more unexpected attacking power is from the fullbacks. Rafael Guerrero has disappeared 
relatively since Euro 2016 because of uh, a series of injuries, and you know that has been unlucky for him at, at, at Borussia Dortmund. But Ricardo Pereira, if if they can, if they can. Um, perpetuate a, a defensive style, a counterattacking style. He's one of the quickest players that I've ever seen, and um, and I think you know that that unexpected attacking uh, force that sometimes you get from an overlapping fullback can be really devastating. And if you have someone like him um, feeding Ronaldo Silva and, and even Bernardo Silva, if he crashes into the into the center. Uh, and makes those late runs, I think that can be a real devastating force if they do that right. Now, if they try to possess the ball, I think Chris's um, concerns about the center center of defense with Pepe and Bruno Alves and Jose Fon are all completely rational. I think those guys are 100% exposable, especially if they're in a ton of space. So I think it'll kind of depend on the fullbacks and then, like I said, that trio of Silva, Ronaldo, and, and Bernardo Silva for them to succeed. We're talking about Portugal and Spain here as a given to finish first and second. Chris, are we doing a disservice to Morocco, for example? Uh, of course, managed by Ervinard, uh, an exciting team back in their first World Cup for, for 20 years. Do you think they could potentially make it out of Group B? They could. Um, I, th- I think the thing with Morocco is they've got some really good youngish talent, um, especially in attack. You could argue they mirror Portugal in that sense because... Um, you've got Hakim Zayek, who had, I think, the most assists in the Eredivis last season. Um, I mean, Hart of Schalke. Um, further back, he's not young, but Mehdi Benatia is, is a, a very good centre-back. Um, and I, I think for, for that reason alone, it, it's enough to give them, I think, a certain degree of respect that they, they could definitely um, take second place. And I, that's what makes this a little bit difficult because there is always a dark horse that sort of you know, propels past expectation. Um, and I think Portugal, yes, they did well in the Confederations Cup, they did well in qualifying, um, but it's just very much how that, that back line takes to things. I, I would say that maybe the distribution of talent, while not as high for Morocco comparative to Portugal, I would say it's slightly better balanced. I would say that that's the, the key difference. Um, and look, the, the goalkeeper from Morocco, the goalkeeping situation, excuse me, from Morocco is not great. Um, I think there's a few different teams like that. Nigeria is one that springs to mind where there's no real sort of definitive starter who you think they had a safe pair of hands. Um, but I think they can potentially mitigate that sort of weakness with with play elsewhere on the field and the, the quality that they've got. What about Iran? Chris, uh, the, uh, the fourth team in Group B, uh, back-to-back World Cups for the first time in their history. Uh, Carlos Quirosh, of course, targeting the knockout stages, but again, hard to see them qualifying, hard to see them beyond Spain, Portugal, etc. Yeah, um, 2014, they were, whew, they were dour. I think that's the polite way to put it. They were not an exciting team to watch. Um, to that end, I think they've gained a little bit more in the final third. Um, I look at the the chap Sardar Asmoon, who, I mean, hasn't had a great season um, domestically, but I think he's still a very good striker. Um, scored a lot of goals at, at Rostov. Reza Gunashiad, who I think I'm saying that right, who was with them in the 2014 World Cup, who, who was kind of the star man for them. Um, and then uh, Alzira Janabakash, I hope again I'm saying that right, who was it? Is it Altmar, who I think finished top scorer actually in the third of his last season? He's been tipped for moves elsewhere. I think between those three, there's at least some sort of semblance of some actual attacking talent in the final third for them now. Um, 
players like Samuel Godos is someone that I'm a little bit familiar with from having watched Ostersons, and I think he's not a terrible player in midfield. The concern is is that at centre back they've uh, got real of Jalal Hosseini, who was quite an important part of um, the team, and I think really what you're likely to see from this team is quite a dour defensive um, approach to things that will look to keep the scores low. Um, we'll try and maybe nick a one one nil or one one result, that kind of thing, and it won't be that entertaining. Um, I think the game against Argentina in the 2014 World Cup was was very much the the best example of what it was like to, to watch Iran and, and to be honest it was not fun um, and I don't see that changing drastically here they've improved but not markedly Group prediction Nico what are we saying? At the risk of jinxing them I'd probably say Spain finish first Portugal second uh, I'm going to go Iran and then Morocco I think despite uh, Morocco's relative talent I, I could see them being one of those teams that can't put it together in sort of a cogent style um, because of the personalities of some of their players so I think I'll go with Morocco at, at, at the bottom mm, okay uh, Chris what are you saying um, uh, I'm gonna say Spain top Morocco second Portugal third and Iran fourth wow okay Portugal third yeah um, God, I, I got to disagree. I would say Spain, Portugal, Morocco, Iran has to be, doesn't it? The obvious one again. But uh, guys, let me know what you think on Twitter at the front free. Get any group B predictions as well. Uh, we are going to be back tomorrow with our group C and D previews. So do tune in then. Uh, until tomorrow, Chris, where can the good people, where can the whole find you? At K H E N E A G, defending my opinion on Portugal. Mm, and Nico. You can find me at Nico underscore O Morales and also at the front three, folks. Mm. Adam Bobwood for myself. Guys, we'll speak to you tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.